0: Throughout my career, I've spent quite a lot of time interacting with engineers. Right as a, uh, I mean, as a tech consultant but then later on at Google as a, you know, as an investor, obviously. And I think the immersion into engineering, as I was going through the training myself, gave me a better understanding of how to interact with other engineers. Probably a bit of credibility as well when I interact with them, because I kind of know what's going on. <laughs> But looking back, I mean, if I had to do it again, I probably would have stuck to computer engineering. I think it would have probably been a bit more useful in my career, given that I didn't go down the path of pursuing a mechanical engineering career.
1: Welcome to the MHV Podcast. We speak with leading founders, VCs, and operators on their journey in Southeast Asia. Hi, Michelle. Uh, Welcome to the MHV podcast. I'm glad to have you on the show.
0: Hey, Jeremy. How are you?
1: Good. Uh, So excited to have you because, you know, you've just been an amazing advocate and champion of so many founders across Southeast Asia. Uh, And I'm so excited to uh, share your journey with so many folks out there.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So for those who uh, don't know you, who are you?
0: My name is Michelle Dawood, and I'm a partner with Monk's Health Ventures, Ventures, so focused on investing in, in early-stage startups in Southeast Asia. I've been with the fund for about five years now.
1: So how did your professional career start?
0: Um, I actually started in strategy consulting, focused on telecom operators. I'm am a I'm an engineer by training, but I think I kind of knew that I was not going to work as an engineer, even as I was taking my degree. Um, and started in consulting because in a way, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a great way to get exposed to like more industries and travel as well. I was young and fresh out of school and didn't have a family back then. So <laughs> being able to work in different countries for different organizations and kind of learn about business after having done engineering is uh, what drove me to do that. Uh, I was based in Dubai, but kind of covering emerging markets with uh, my first project actually in Indonesia. So that's that's why I spent a few months fresh out of out of undergrads um, working for a telecom operator in Indonesia.
1: What was that first uh, project like in Indonesia? I mean, I too remember working in uh, telco uh, in projects in Southeast Asia, and it was very eye opening looking at you know mobile churn rates and <laughs> multi sims and everything. Yeah.
0: Uh, Look, it was, I mean, it was very enlightening for me, to be honest. You know, like I said, I had an engineering background. So going into an organization like a telecom operator in Indonesia, um, the scale of the business, kind of the complexity of it, and trying to figure out how we could add value as a small team of three (laughs) was, I mean, it was a great experience for me. I think also going, I mean, I grew up in Lebanon, which is a tiny country, right? And so then being parachuted into Indonesia, which... Where everything's at a different scale was super eye-opening for me as well and probably planted the seed for my return to Southeast Asia many years later um, to you know to to work in a market that I think is unlike anything else that you see in where I, I I've never lived in India or China so I can't compare. <laughs> That's a different dimension. But I mean for me it was such a cool learning experience. And you know as a as a as a consultant you do get to interact with pretty senior folks within the organization. So um, you learn a lot from that. There were some language barriers at times that we had to figure out. um, And definitely a bunch of folks that, you know, didn't necessarily want us there as well. So lots of, you know, people dynamic to figure out as well. Um, But overall, an amazing learning experience for me.
1: Yeah, and what did you take away from that time? Any good stories about your time in Indonesia uh, at a time?
0: Took away that consulting is hard. <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, it was my you know it was it was uh, my first introduction to the real professional world, and we we definitely worked hard and, and around the around the clock. Um, but it was actually also like really cool to see how in this short span of a couple of months. We actually can come up with recommendations that, if if implemented properly, have a, have an impact on a whole organization. And and you know a telco operator in Indonesia, and that was you know one of the biggest ones. Ultimately, the ramifications of what you're doing impacts so many people in the country that are using those those services. So it was it was actually like really cool to get the sense that my work, you know, mattered in a way. And um, could have you know an, an impact on on people's day to day life, so I enjoyed that very much.
1: Yeah, and it was interesting because that you know was really the first wave of like you know opening up access for the digitization of so much more services down the road, right? With that yeah. uh, telco yeah. and data and you know uh, bandwidth.
0: Uh, Definitely, and to put things into context, context that was two thousand eight, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So. It was really the early days of of all that infrastructure being set up and the early days of access to, um, you know, to connectivity for a lot of people in in this part of the world. So, um, yeah, it was really cool to be part of that.
1: Yeah, amazing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then on, you know, you went on to do more projects and so, so forth. Could you share more what happened after that?
0: Yeah, so I mean, the, you know, consulting the whole premises, you do a few months uh, at a time in different projects. So I ended up spending quite a long time in different parts of the Middle East, but also in Africa. So I had a project in Sudan where I spent time in Khartoum, um, which was you know, even from a personal level, such a cool experience as a woman to be working there. Um, I spent time in Tunisia as well on another project, and and that was arranged, you know. Uh, Range of things. So some of the projects are were, were really interesting around like launching new mobile you know, value propositions for, for telecom operators. Um, you know, coming up with the whole strategy on uh, what will the offering look like, but also what's the distribution strategy? How do you onboard distributor? What's the training that you do there? How's the after? You know, what's the aftercare service that you're going to provide? So really, the full suite of um, considerations for for a new launch. But then other projects as well. I mean, again, this was 2009, right? So some other pro- some of the other projects were also around. Okay, how do you, what should we do for the survival of the organization? And how do we think of human capital resizing and treating employees fairly despite the, the circumstances? So those were a bit harsher, I think, from an emotional standpoint to work on, but also you know still as important in, in terms of ensuring the overall survival of the organization. And some of those lessons I've actually taken, you know, as well for my current, you know, for my time as a VC now, where, you know, you work with startups and they go through ups and downs, and there are instances where you have to make tough calls. And I think it's our role as well as board members and investors to help the entrepreneurs make those tough calls, and ultimately trying to be fair with the people, because you are dealing with people's lives but still keeping an eye on the overall outcome, which is, well, the organization has to survive. If not, then the overall impact on everyone working for the company and the customers, right, is going to be way more, uh, you know, way more important. So different kind of projects, which I think was, again, like in terms of like your exposure to the business world, as someone who was a few years out of, out of undergrad, I think for me, that was really, really insightful.
1: Oh, well, I mean, it, it, it's a transition there, right? So I guess we're kind of doubling back there. But, you know, I guess why did you study mechanical engineering in that, in that scenario? Yeah.
0: Look, I, you know, looking back, I, I'm glad I did. I think engineering in general gives you a kind of a good, you know, set of critical thinking skills and some base to, to use in, in whatever context. And so for me, the decision was, OK, well, I'm actually pretty good at science and math. Engineering is one of those degrees that keeps the door open to different careers. Why not? <laughs> and uh, and you know, I, I could have. I actually started as a computer engineer, and then I switched to mechanical engineer because I thought the third year project that we had, which was over the whole year, was more interesting. We had to build kind of little cars and then race as as against different teams. So I thought that was cool. That was the extent of my. Thought process when it came to switching (laughs) from computer engineering to mechanical engineering. So it's, I've always known I didn't want to work as an engineer. It was more to get the base for whatever I I would do next. And actually, switching from engineering to consulting is is a decently common path, right? Where consultants actually do hire quite a few engineering grads. Um, And then you learn the business books on, on the job, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting, right, because you've managed to kind of like weave both of those experiences together, right? I mean, I mean, technology uh, is really a focus above those dynamics, above the you know engineering you know,
0: yeah.
1: foundations as well as the business yeah. side as well. Um, yeah,
0: and that's a good point. I mean, ultimately, throughout my career, I've spent quite a lot of time interacting with engineers, right, as a, uh, I mean, as a top consultant, but then later on at Google, as a, you know, as an investor, obviously, and I think, The immersion into engineering as I was going through the training myself gave me a better understanding of how to interact with other engineers, probably a bit of credibility as well when I interact with them, because I kind of know what's going on. (laughs) But looking back, I mean, if I had to do it again, I probably would have stuck to computer engineering. I think it would have probably been a bit more useful in my career, given that I didn't go down the path of pursuing a mechanical engineering career.
1: You started transitioning into technology, right? You know, you had yeah, Google and you know Toro. Could you talk about that transition into uh, you know technology?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, look, it, it's always been something that I wanted to do. I think, and and also I, you'll hear that from a lot of consultants. After a while, you kind of be, you want to be part of the implementation, right? Like you want to be on the side of the table where you're actually part of the company that you're providing recommendations for. And uh, tech, I mean. Uh, part of it happens accidentally. Part of it happens deliberately. I think I was always interested in in that industry, but I also had a former colleague that had transitioned to Google and kept on saying amazing things about working for the company. And so, then then th- that's about how the transition happened. It's a, a bit of it was opportunistic, um, and I actually moved to London. So I started covering um, Europe and, and North Africa and the Middle East as a region. Uh, and again, like an- another great life experience for me, I had never lived in Europe. It was my first actually time in a developed market per se, although I was still covering kind of North Africa and Middle East as a market. And I started doing, uh, you know, I was in a, in the new products and services team, so looking at display advertising platforms and a bunch of the new platforms that we had acquired, and and thinking through the implementation into Google, but also setting kind of performance management tools and. Help, you know, helping with the business plan and, and setting the sales targets for the sales team. So I guess a lot of the the things I had been doing as a consultant would now really for the company I was working for. Um, I, yeah, I, I really love my time there actually. Uh, I, I I didn't spend that long at Google. I spent a little over a year. I thought I would spend longer, but then business school happened. Um, but but it was, you know, just overall like a very It's a great culture. I mean, it tells you a lot about what a like what a successful big tech company should look like, right? At the core, a lot of you know, the companies manage to keep a sense of innovation and a sense of um, personal initiative from different employees, despite the scale that it has. And I think that's actually very telling of how do you keep a culture of innovation within a firm. it, you know it, it, we still I think we had a, a few maybe like 10 20 thousand employees at the time so it wasn't st- yet the scale that it has today but still a big company right and uh, yeah it was a very different perspective for me
1: and it's such a large company decided to go smaller and smaller right or younger yeah. younger or faster and faster um, and you landed at you know, U- Udemy, right? Uh, so tell us more yeah. about what it was like you know, at Udemy and what scale yeah. it was and what you were doing there. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. No, and, and that was exactly kind of the, the reason for me leaving Google and actually going to do my MBA. I wasn't sold on doing an MBA per se. And actually, I only applied to to Sanford. And and the reason why I did that was because I wanted the access to Silicon Valley and entrepreneurship and you know, the startup scene there. And for me, it was my ticket to get there. And so, it, already my decision to go to an MBA was based on kind of my intention to start working with, with startups. And even throughout my time there, I started getting involved with startups. Uh, you know, I advised a few, I, I you know, entered a few startup competitions and uh, get, got a flavor for it. And then upon graduation, I was very clear, you know, I wanted to stay in San Francisco, in in, you know, San Francisco, the the Bay Area more broadly speaking. Uh, I wanted to really be immersed in the Silicon Valley uh, environment. And I was looking for a company that had a social mission I can align with as well. So I I wanted a for-profit company to be clear but I did want something where I could align with the vision and and where the impact of of, you know what the company was trying to do was would speak to me. And I came across Udemy again, it was a very small company back then. I you know I think it it was a small company back then. Um, I I hadn't really I mean I had heard of it through a friend of mine from my consulting days who had recently joined them. Um, And as I started speaking to them, I actually realized there were a few alums from my university as well that worked there and just the caliber of the people is outstanding. And even the founder, I mean, the founder's story just really resonated with me. It was, you know, the, the founding team of, I mean, not a lot of people know that, but they're actually Turkish uh, people. And the founder himself grew up in a small village middle of nowhere in Turkey. And his parents were teachers and he got access to a computer. And through the access to the computer, he actually taught himself math and participated in a math competition and actually won a scholarship to move to Ankara and and study there. So he firsthand experienced what the impact of technology had on his life and what the impact of access to education had on his life. And because of that, he kind of built that platform, Udemy, which uses technology to democratize access to education and really enable people to yearn for another life, right? Like, Like basically build another life for themselves through technology and through education. And that, for me, was very compelling uh, of a purpose. And i that's, that's why I decided to join even as a company. I was considering joining as the head of marketing for DoorDash back then, which was, I think, 10 people. So looking back, I'm not sure that was the best financial decision I made, <laughs> but definitely an amazing experience still. <laughs> <laughs>
1: sorry that's so funny i mean that's you know a lot of people make similar decisions uh, you know like at a time right it's like a or b right uh uh, it's always hard to tell at that stage as well um and what did you learn from that time at udemy right i mean there you are obviously building on this incredible company what did you learn from that time
0: so udemy was a really eye-opening experience for me i think it was my first true entrepreneurial experience. You know, I joined the team was small. I joined as an individual contributor and kind of like started building teams and and um, it it was really the true start of experience that I was longing for. Uh, I wasn't a founder, right? But I was still like an early employee and definitely felt like I I got to shape the direction of the company, got to influence some you know strategic decisions. Um, And it's a very rewarding feeling. Um, I also was managing people for the first time, and, and managing like pretty large teams. And I think you know, I, I, I actually got to experience a lot of the kind of textbook MBA experiences around like people dynamics and people issues, and, and management, and how do you keep people motivated? How do you manage people that are way older than you? Like how do you deal with all of that, right? And and at the core. That's what a company is, right? It's a set of people and a set of people dynamics. And the better you are at managing and dealing with those, the better you are at building a successful organization, which then ends up you know, succeeding as a company overall. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that we did wrong. There's a lot of things that I think we did quite well. Um, and looking back, it was one of the most positive experiences for me professionally. Just because of the speed at which things move and and the impact that a decision has on the complete trajectory of of a company.
1: One interesting part, obviously, is that you know you, you make decisions along the way about what it means to be a leader, to be a manager. Were there any interesting experiences along the way that you learned about yourself as a leader or manager from that experience?
0: Yeah, I mean it's look, I think, you know, I I think you learn what kind of leader you want to be as you have as you're exposed to more and more of those decisions and and over time. I don't think I came into the company as the leader that I am today. And and I think I probably won't be the same leader that I am today, if you ask me again in five or ten years. like I mentioned, I joined as an individual contributor, and then I was actually asked to then manage my peers who had onboarded me. And some some of them were not happy. And you can imagine they were not happy with that, right? And so it, it's quite challenging. I mean, it's a how do I build the how do I earn their trust, right? Like how do I convince them that I actually have something to bring, knowing that I've never managed people before, and this is like purely a leap of faith from my boss, right? And it's uh, I think like it's I mean it can sound cliche but it goes back to like authenticity and, and and dealing with people in in a way that's authentic and and is representative of who you are it's kind of acknowledging the challenges and acknowledging what in the situation may not be optimal for for you know the person you're managing but then also, Kind of getting buy-in into what's the broader vision here? Like, why are we doing this, right? Like, how is that actually supporting the overall purpose of the organization and ultimately of the end user? And and Udemy was a bit, um, you know, was a bit unique. There's a lot of companies like that, but the mission was really critical to what drove people, right? There was self-selection in terms of um, who was working for Udemy, where. The motivation was really driven by the, the impact on the end user, and so bringing those conversations back to how are we improving, you know, how are we extending our impact um, was was always helpful. Um, yeah, and then I mean, I you know, the, the there's been a lot of talk about like vulnerability and showing vulnerability as a leader. I think it's a topic that's been exhausted, but it, it's it, it couldn't be more true, right? Like acknowledging some of your own shortcomings, kind of showing up as um, someone who's genuinely trying to make a difference and someone who's genuinely trying to, to help them as, a, as an individual, um, I think, also helps. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot that we can unpack in there, but ultimately, I think it, it taught me that as a leader, I mean, it, it, it only gets rewarding if it's true to who you are and if I'm treating you know, people in the organization the way I would want to be treated as well.
1: Interesting. And with those reflections, you know, you eventually decided to transition to, you know, looking and exploring venture capital, right? Uh, So what made you decide to cross over to the other side of the table?
0: Yeah, I I think, look, my decision was primarily driven actually by a desire to move to Asia. Anyway, that that was kind of like really the driver for my move. I I wanted to move to Asia. And then, just like anything in life, I think it's a set of circumstances. Um, I had always had, I mean, since my time in Indonesia, I think moving back to Asia was something I was really planning on doing at some point in my life. Um, I also knew I was not going to live in in the US. (laughs) You know, I I grew up in emerging markets. I think tech in emerging markets has a very different. Application than in developed economies. So, you know, from a geography standpoint, I knew I wanted to go back to Asia. I think the scale of things, the timing of, you know, transitioning to the, the startup ecosystem in, in Southeast Asia was very appealing to me. And then at the time, my husband was actually considering uh, two job offers one in, in San Francisco and one back in Hong Kong. So we're like, okay, let's, let's actually make the move. It's now or never. I mean, that's something I've always wanted to do. And then, then, this is where I started trying to like, get to know the startup ecosystem more. And I knew I wanted to stay within the startup ecosystem. I wasn't necessarily set on switching over to VC. And as I started talking to more people, I actually got introduced to Fang and Koi. Um, so, the, you know, the founding partners of Moxa Ventures, and started chatting with them, initially picking their brain on the ecosystem and trying to get a better sense of what was going on, what were the interesting opportunities. And gradually, as I was speaking to them, Started to realize, wow, like actually switching to VC would be such a cool experience. It would give me kind of a, an overview of, I mean, it, you know, I was new to the region. So VC actually gave me access to the whole region, right? And, and you know, learn what startups were, were, you know, what were the startups that were actually emerging in the, in the space or the industries that were interesting. Um, Leverage some of the experience kind of running a, a company in, in the US to support a a nascent ecosystem, right? And, you know, I I go back, I mean, overall, ultimately the impact is quite important for me. And it it seemed to me like it was an amazing platform to kind of expand my impact and actually help entrepreneurs that themselves were pursuing like super interesting missions. And that was really the driving factor for my transition.
1: Amazing. and I'm so curious. What was it like crossing over to the other side from your perspective? I mean, what was, what was that shift like from your perspective? Because I mean, lots of yeah. people ask, right? You know.
0: Look, it's, it's definitely a transition, right? Like there's so many things that are different as an operator and versus as an investor. First of all, this, the timing, like time has a different notion, right? Like when you're an operator or running a startup, you, you're in, I mean, your impact is measured day to day, right? Like, Hour to hour, in a sense, like you have like weekly goals and like monthly goals, and quarterly goals, and you really see the impact of what you're doing. And those little steps along the way are really important in the direction of something. As an investor, when you're making an investment decision, you have to take into account like the shifts in the macro, you know, the macroeconomic uh, uh, environment. And you're making a decision for like five, ten years down the line, right? Like, where do you think things are going to be? And how do you back the right, you know, company, the right team, um, with all of that in mind? And the reality is, I mean, you, you know, you have early signs of how the company is doing, but you really don't really know how you're doing as an investor until like way later in the cycle. And that's a completely different frame of mind. So that was the first one. The second one is just how granular you have to go, and and that's I think one of the even you know having having hired. A bunch of people from an operating background, I think it's one of the toughest transitions to do going from an operator into an investor. as an operator, your your natural inclination is to want to really go into the details of the business and understand every little thing of what's going on so you can influence it right it's it's very important to go and integrate into the details. as an investor, it's actually not useful to do that. for the investment decision, You end up wasting the entrepreneur's time. I think it's, you know, it's it's very important to understand like, what are the things that I need to to know to make a good investment decision? And what are the things that I'm actually curious about, but are not actually going to help me make an investment decision? And how do I prioritize and how do I let go and be okay having some areas that are a little less clear to me because they're not as, as important from an investment standpoint? And then secondly, of course, after you've invested and you're sitting on the board and supporting an entrepreneur, it's also being okay being that coach and kind of being that thought partner and supporting them and making their decisions, again, without going into the nitty-gritty of understanding every aspect of the business because it would not be useful. You're wasting their time. You'd be micromanaging. That's not what a successful investor does. And so that transition is, I think, something that's, uh, an interesting uh, change in in perception and in natural inclination that you have to do over time. Um, yeah, but but I mean overall it's it's such a you know, I mean, it's such a cool experience. you you know as an investor, you end up working with companies or sort you know solving very different problems in very different markets. you have kind of that bird eyed view of the whole ecosystem. Um, it's it's you, you're looking at a different sphere, right? Versus like being very heads down on one company, one set of problems, one set of competitors. So it's it's just a very different perspective.
1: One interesting thing is that there's a lot of uh, you know trade offs as a result, right? Which is you know like you said, you know um, transition of being a founder who's now an investor side. Uh, there's also, I think, benefits. I guess, hopefully, uh, from yeah. being a founder who is now an investor. What benefits would you say those are uh, from being a founder who's now yeah. an investor mm-hmm. side of the table?
0: Look, I think you know, I always say there's no one path to becoming a successful entrepreneur, and there is successful entrepreneurs from from all walks of life, and I think that's true of being an investor as well. Like you have examples of successful investors that have come from different paths of life. that said, I do think that when you do early-stage investing, having been a founder or an operator at at a a startup is definitely helpful. It, It gives you some, I mean, practically speaking, I think when you're assessing a company, when you're working on the board of a company, it gives you kind of that practical lens on what's feasible, what's not. And it gives you a, a almost like a better flair, I think, of what's going on under the hood when you're talking about. You know. um, I think it's obviously very clear that when you're supporting on the board of a company, um, a lot of the issues that the company might run into, you may have run into yourself. And it's not to say that you can't pick up those as you go, you know, the more companies you've invested in if you haven't been an operator before. But I think it does give you that, uh, you know, that experience earlier on in your career as an investor. More importantly, I think where the real difference is, is in terms of credibility. I think ultimately the best entrepreneurs have a lot of investors they can choose from. And they want, you know, more often than not, they want to have on their board someone who's been in their shoes before because they, you know, rightly or wrongly. Assume that that person will have a better sense of what's going on and will be able to better support. And at the core, it's about founder empathy, right? It's about truly being able to build that connection with the founder because you genuinely know what they're going through, and being able to support along the way again because you've been in their shoes before. Um, so yeah, I, I think particularly for early stage investing, I think as you start going into growth investing, it's less relevant, but. Particularly for early stage investing, it's it's really helpful. The one thing I would add is I think what's particularly helpful is to have been part of the growth story of a company. So, you know, I think starting a company is great, but also being able to see how you split a company from seed series A all the way to series C, series 0, or whatnot, it's a very different toolkit that you need. And so having someone who's Actually, been able to take a company through the different stages of growth, um, I think is really helpful, particularly for an ecosystem in South, like Southeast Asia, which is still nascent, where there's few people around you that you can turn to that have had that experience. Right, You have few people that you can go to for advice. And so, having an investor that has had that perspective that can help you lay the right foundations early on to prepare you for the, those next uh, stages of growth, um, I think is particularly helpful.
1: What advice would you give for, you know, founders who are thinking about, you know, fundraising and thinking about picking the right investor? Uh, because, you know, it's such a tough one, right? I mean, there's so many investors. There's former founders who are yeah. now investors. There are investors who are now investors. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, there's capital yeah. running around. How would, you know, what advice would you frankly give them to think about, you know, in picking someone, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Look, when it comes to fundraising, I think there's a few practical elements uh, of planning your fundraising uh, in an effective way, and then there's people element of choosing the investor. Practically speaking, first advice is start planning early, right? For funding, don't don't wait till the last minute. Don't wait till you're running out of cash. Not only because the fundraising um, process itself. Going to take some time, but also because way before that, you need to know what you want to look like for the next stage of fundraising, right? So, start being clear as to what are the milestones you want to hit, how do you get there, and how do you start fundraising early. Um, you know, there's all that we can go into in terms of like what makes a good fundraising conversation, how do you present your company, how do you basically um, share. know share authentically where the company's at in a way that's compelling to investors so that they want to actually buy into your vision, but also where you're actually being authentic and genuine about the challenges that you're experiencing because you actually want someone on your board who knows that first of all, who's okay with that and who's willing to support right and help you with your challenges. So that's a a whole you know whole whole discussion we can have on that. At the core when it comes to choosing your investor, there's some you know, elements that you can look for, like a checkbox that you can look for, right? Like, do you want a fund that has a better brand, right? Which helps you when you're going to announce your funding, you know, show up, be associated with a brand and then like hopefully help with recruiting and then your next rounds of, of funding as well. Um, do you want a fund that has maybe worked with companies in your in, in your industry or with, with adjacencies or actually like or, or in similar companies within a different geography that can build bring some of that uh, expertise and learning back to your company. But at the core it's really about the individual partner, right? Like you're gonna have a partner on your board. And yes, you're gonna have access to the rest of the partnership, but really the interaction is going to be primarily with that one. I mean in our case we have two partners on the board and we have an associate. So it, it depends on the fund but really understand who is it that you're gonna have on your board. How bought into your vision are they, right? Like, do they genuinely get excited about what you're trying to do? Are they going to be gung ho about, you know, pushing you and, and, and uh, supporting you and achieving that vision? And how do they deal with? Uh, how do they deal with founders when things are not going that well, right? Because I think you know, it's easy for any fund and any partner to get excited about a company that's doing the really US. Well. But you're going to have ups and downs as a, as a founder, right? Like, how are they going to deal with you when maybe things are not looking as bright or there's an external circumstance like COVID that is completely unforeseen and is actually like changing the direction of your company? And so, you know, it's very important to have that first of all, like that personal affinity with the person you're talking to. Like, do you feel like you can be genuine and authentic, open up about your challenges? Do you feel like they're supportive? Do you think that they have the right toolkit and the right connections to help with that? But also spend quite a lot of time talking to uh, founders they've invested in. Those are actually the people who are going to give you the best window into what it's like to work with with this fund and this partner. How you know what have been their individual experience in terms of, like, practically speaking, what kind of support that they have they received, and what has happened when, for some of them, you know, things haven't gone as well. And then make a decision based on that. You've yeah.
1: been an operator that has been in the trenches, right? Building, scaling, uh, and you know how hard it is to build yeah. and yeah. scale companies. And now you've been on the other side at a board, working with founders, believing and growing. So yeah. you know, and you've done that with multiple iterations. So now that you've done all of that, what would you say? I think have you taken away and say like this? This is the core of what you want to bring in that interaction. Yeah. You know, yeah. Rain or shine. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, but there's a few sets of Characteristics of who I am as a person, right? Like my background, like my work experience, uh, my studies, all of that. And then there's set of who I am as an individual. And then there's also the platform that I have access to, right? Like I am part of Moncel as a fund. Like I have access to Moncel as a platform and what what that can bring. I think if you go back to like okay, my personal experiences. I think I've had the the chance of working in different continents and different markets and. I've had the chance of seeing how things are done at different phases as well of, of the uh, growth of the company. I've been part of very early stage companies. I've been part of very large tech companies, and anything in between. And I think that usually is a good perspective to bring, uh, kind of knowing where you start off from and where you want to end up. Um, I I think the fact that I have spent time in different markets means that I can also, you know, I have the chance of having networks in those markets and and experts and advisors that I can tap into as well and that is usually quite useful particularly for a founder in Southeast Asia that may not have that access. Um, You know, I've had my own set of like, you know, experiences with like BD and marketing and strategy and operations and whatnot that I can bring to the table. But I think at the core, it's um I like to think that I I you know I, I, I invest in businesses that I'm genuinely excited about. And I think I've mentioned it before, I think tech in emerging markets has such an incredible value creation potential. And so I genuinely get excited about the founders that I work with and what they're trying to achieve. And I think having that kind of sidekick <laughs> as a founder. Can be helpful right like i as a person i tend to be like a pretty positive person and i kind of like see the best in situations and i think that can be helpful as well uh especially if the founder is going through some hardship or whatnot um i also am a true like i, I i'm very focused on as a person and, and you know with like my friends and i i'm very focused on kind of like mindfulness and responsible leadership and mental health and I try to make sure that when I, you know, work with founders, that's always in the back of my mind. Like, do they need support as a person, right, as an individual, before before being a founder, right? Like, how is the individual behind that, company, you know, that that founder doing, and how is, you know, what can I do as a as an investor to help with that? So, um, I try to bring a little bit of that, you know, my my interest in that field, into who I am as an investor. And then, lastly, like I said, like I'm part of a platform. I'm privileged to work with, you know, people who've been in the ecosystem for a long time, who've been serial entrepreneurs. We have a set of operating advisors that I think is, you know, world class in terms of the skills that they're bringing, you know, network through our LPs, and it's it's all of that. I think is really helpful for an entrepreneur who is heads down executing on the business and doesn't have the privilege that we have as an investor to meet as many people and, and connect the dots. Um, so, yeah, that's what I think I bring. <laughs> you should you should ask founders that I work with.
1: And I think wrapping things up here, you know, for you know, a lot of the folks out there, you know, um, what advice would you give for people um, who are thinking about, you know, becoming a founder in Southeast Asia from your perspective? Um, you know, it's just starting, starting out from your perspective, you know, you know, or starting out a tech career. Any advice you would, you know, give mm-hmm. from your perspective? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I mean, do it. <laughs> Look, I think timing is really important when it comes to those things. So um, the ecosystem is at, a, is at a stage that is really exciting. There's still so many layers of opportunity that, that are to be tackled that I think if someone who's smart and dedicated puts their head to it, and obviously like, chooses the right problem to work on, um, they, could, they could be very successful. Um, so I would say it's always hard to make the plunge, right? Especially if you're in a comfy job and, and you're kind of giving up something to, to start from scratch. But I mean, it's, it could be such a rewarding, such a successful experience. Um, I think don't underestimate how tough it can be. I think sometimes people, and you need a little bit of that, that naive perspective as well to be an entrepreneur, right? Like, you know, maybe like ignoring purposefully all of the hardship that, that's in front of you. But I would say, like, come, come prepared and aware of the fact that there's definitely going to be some very challenging things you're going to have to deal with as a founder, no matter how, yeah, I mean, there, there's not a single story of a founder that hasn't had very very deep lows as well to deal with. Um, and surround yourself with the right people, I think is probably like the most important thing you can do. I think is it starts with self- self-awareness, self-awareness, right? Like knowing as an individual who you are, what you bring to your table, what your blind spots are. And it it's, you know, after self-awareness, there's a, an element of humility that you need to have as a founder and like being being humble enough to acknowledge some of those shortcomings. that you can actually surround yourself with people who complement you Um, there's tons of literature on that and tons of tools that can help you do that but at the core it comes from a place of self-awareness and humility like the desire to actually surround yourself with people that are smarter than who you are and complement you in a way um, that is going to be useful as you scale your business yeah that's i think that's the core of it
1: awesome uh, thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing uh, so much of it. And uh, on that note, I'd love to kind of like paraphrase the three big things that I took away uh, from this. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for uh, sharing your professional journey. I love especially uh, the early notes about your early time as a uh, early computer engineer who ended up switching to become a mechanical engineer to race cars Uh, (laughs) and so we've got to see some pictures of that eventually uh and um eventually becoming and learning uh having that foray as a consultant doing indonesia telecom and being that first wave of digitization um and uh early 2000s uh and then uh after that, I loved the second uh, big theme, which was about uh, being part of uh, the earlier operator and scaling of technology at Google as well as Udemy uh, and learning, I think, what it means to be of a fast-growth company uh, mm-hmm. and also learning not just the nuts and bolts of that from a scaling perspective, yet also what you meant from a personal leadership dynamic as well uh, and what you meant for yourself. And lastly, I loved... Uh, you know what it means uh, for yourself on the venture capital side of the table. Uh, what it mm. means for um, you know the trade-offs uh, in that sense uh, in terms of the learning, but also I think the benefits uh, that you bring uh, to the table and what you're able to help founders with, uh, both mm. personally uh, as well as the advice that you will give founders uh, to uh, be thoughtful about in the fundraising process. So uh, thank you, Michelle, for, for uh, it, sharing. Jeremy.
0: Thank you, Jeremy. Take care.
1: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the MHV podcast, please share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Go to www.monkshill.com for more founders journeys, company building advice, and insights into regional tech trends.